This week on Cross and Crown Radio, a couple quick updates for us on the podcast. I want to talk a little bit about the Abolish Abortion Virginia conference that we had here recently. And I also, because I've had lots of questions about it, want to give everyone a little bit of an update and peer behind the curtain, so to speak, with regard to the Virginia Center for Public Theology that we just launched. Those are the couple of things we're going to talk about. Don't know how long this episode will go, but I want to welcome you to the podcast. My name is Jason. As always, I'm your host, and thank you for listening to Cross and Crown Radio. Well, this week, uh, we're on the road, so to speak. I'm actually pulled over and in my car recording this right now. I wanted to get an episode out and talk through some of the most exciting stuff that I've been able to experience in a while. I'm always, it's always an honor for me to be able to hang out with like-minded people, especially when you're in the fight against child sacrifice. And that's what we were able to do. Just a couple of weeks ago, we had the Abolish Abortion Virginia Conference, the first one of its kind in the state of Virginia. And we had it a couple of weeks ago. Crossing Crown Church, along with Street Church, were uh, in a position to host this. And we had about a couple hundred people show up to it, which was really exciting to see. I think one of my favorite things about these kinds of conferences is getting to know people that you didn't know existed. <laughs> Sometimes when you're in the fight against child sacrifice, you can feel like you're alone. Uh, you sometimes think that maybe you're the only one, sort of that Elijah syndrome. But actually, uh, God gently comes along and says, well, no, I've got 7,000 others. And that's always a refreshing experience uh, to see people and meet new people that you didn't know. We had folks from all over the place. Our friends down in North Carolina came up. Pastor Tim and our friend Wayne came up to, to support the work. Uh, we were able to go down there last year to North Carolina for their conference as they were running a bill of abolition there. Also, Dave Vuboltz, he's a friend of ours. He ran for Senate in North Carolina. Didn't win the primary, but I think the outcome was better than they expected. They came all they all came up to support the work and I'm I'm thankful for them and their their support. We had folks from Maryland, uh, Pennsylvania, just people from all over Virginia, the DC area. What a blessing it was to meet so many people who are out on the streets, who are at the abortion clinics, who are doing the work. And our goal in, in Virginia, of course, is to have a bill of total abolition. And we want to put that forth. And the conference was kind of setting us up, so to speak, for that. We had great talks from a whole bunch of great brothers. Alan Cohen is a friend of mine. He's an elder at uh, Street Church, along with Ron Krantz, who most of you will know, uh, especially if you've listened to this podcast. We did an interview with Ron just a few weeks ago. But Ron gave a great talk on blood guilt and its relationship to land cursing, to uh, the obligation of the church in this fight, and the jurisdiction of Christ. And if you know anything about Ron, you know that he has such a tremendous heart, a big heart. He desires to see Christ magnified in all things and listen to his talks. He kind of put two talks together. I think that's how it worked out. But you can find those talks on uh, Abolish Abortion Virginia YouTube page. 
Um, Alan, though, who's an elder with Ron, he gave a talk on the Christian response to abortion, which was really, really good. So you'll definitely want to listen to that. We had some interviews and personal testimonies from different folks. Christian Raymond, who came uh, down from Wisconsin, he actually gave a little talk on Virginia politics. The political scene in Virginia has shifted quite a bit uh, with Glenn Youngkin being elected as governor. And, you know, it remains to be seen. I get asked this from people from time to time. You know, Virginia turned red. How did, how did, how did that even happen? Well, I mean, you know, things change here and there. But part of the reason, I think, is that people were getting really frustrated with the the left. And that's a general shift, I think, in American politics. The left keeps progressing into uh, itself <laughs> off the cliff of despair. And, uh, you know, I think people are seeing that and are, are frustrated with it, you know, especially when you're paying five bucks for gas or more in some places. Uh, just those sort of economic ramifications I think people are getting tired of. So I, I predict we'll see a big shift anyway here in Virginia, but also in the rest of the U.S. Uh, well, maybe not California or New York, but I think we'll see a shift in the political sphere. And it's, it's a good thing, um, or at least it can be a good thing, because Glenn Youngkin here, I don't think he's going to do anything to sign a bill of abolition, but that's something that we're working on and getting done here in Virginia and it's something we're going to push for, of course, and we have some senators and representatives who are willing to to sponsor that type of bill. But just getting it out to people is is a whole nother a whole nother issue because, like what happens in Texas all of the time, happened years ago with HB nine forty eight. It happens in Oklahoma as well. Every single year, it seems like these bills are submitted, and pro life Christians squash them. Uh, it happened recently in Louisiana as well. In fact, Louisiana really heated up because it was around that time when this leak from the Supreme Court, allegedly Roe v. Wayne is going to be overturned, and that's any day now. I know the SCOTUS blog tweeted out something today that there's another opinion day this week. There are actually 13 cases that they have left to decide, and I'm going to guess that they're probably going to hold Roe v. Wade for the very last one because they want to get out, get out of Dodge before Dodge gets burned to the ground, which I think we'll see happen. More on that in a minute, though. But the conference was a blessing, meeting different people, uh, having different folks come who have different types of ministries and are involved in this. And it's just a warm time. It's a blessing. It's a tremendous blessing. Yours truly gave a talk on smash mouth immediatism and the problem of incrementalism. That was obviously an intentional choice. You can listen to that on the previous episode of the CCR here. I wanted to put that out for people to listen to because I think it's an important perspective on the debate between immediatism and incrementalism. And it is a debate. The scene in Virginia, much like the scene in other places, especially, like I said, Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, and even in um, other places as well. But the scene is basically this. You have a handful, <laughs> what seems like a handful, of abolitionists who believe in the gospel, who believe in the law word of God, who desire to obey Christ no matter the consequence, who are willing to take the kingdom and push it out into the hinterlands to see you know, Christ transform people and nations. And they are committed to the total and immediate abolition of abortion without compromise, without partiality, uh, 
that handful of people inevitably runs up against a massive amount of Christian pragmatism, also known as the pro-life movement. This happened in Louisiana with National Right to Life, other organizations like the ERLC, which the Virginia Center of Public Theology wants to replace that with a more coherent, biblical, and systematically uh, uh, consistent uh, frame of reference. More on that later. But these groups like the ERLC and the Right to Life, they come together and they put pressure on the politicians and say, hey, you know, you can't abolish abortion here because we have pro-life bills that are on the books that are doing good work. We're saving lives. You know, maybe we could just do a heartbeat bill or maybe we could do, you know, a a 10-week bill or something. And that is like, it's, it's, it's become this, like, it's totally predictable. <laughs> it's predictable. These folks who show up and disparage and poo-poo on the abolitionist bill because they think they're actually winning, which is just mind-blowing to me because they're not winning. You know, the heartbeat bill took an effect last, what, what was it, uh, September 1st, I think, in Texas. And for September through December, compared to the previous three or four months, uh, the abortions were cut in half, and they celebrated that victory. But it really wasn't a victory. How could it possibly be a victory when you still have 10,000 boys and girls being put to death? So not a victory at all. They just think it is. So they pat themselves on their back with this thinking that they've done good when, in fact, they've done um, unrighteously. Why? My brother Ron says this all the time, and he's absolutely right. If we were talking about, you know, you might be able to hear this in the background, but it just started raining, lightning striking everywhere in the distance. Fantastic. I love a good rain. You have uh, pro-lifers who don't care about the law of God. They don't care about the gospel. They don't want to press the crown rights of King Jesus into every area of life. So they, they deal only in terms of pragmatism. This, is, this has become mind-numbing to me because it's the same story. It's the same song and dance. It's the same thing that happens every single time. And these ostensible Christians are not consistent at all. They have no desire to be consistent with their theology because they have a social theory that is driven by anything but the ground motive of Scripture. It's driven by half measures. It's driven by whatever might work or we can't get a bill of abolition anyway, so let's at least try this. And it's it's like from an abolitionist perspective, our task is to go up to them and say, listen, you uncircumcised, well, you know, let's modernize it, you unbaptized Philistines, who are you to mock the living God? Who are you to mock him as you put forth these stupid and unrighteous bills that are called good but are in fact evil, the very thing Isaiah warns against? Their social theory, their, their religious perspective is warped. It's humanistic. That's what I tried to point out in my talk. But it's humanistic And frankly, it's revolutionary in character, and it's revolutionary because they want to revolt against the God of Scripture. They want to revolt against his standards. They don't want to implement those because they think that's not being very nice or that's mean. You know, we don't want to impose our religion. Well, religion is getting imposed whether you like it or not. 
I mean, it's been said over and over in our circles all of the time, thanks to the work of Rosh Juni, but it's not a question of if you'll have a theocracy, but what sort of God is going to be at the center of that rule. It's either going to be a theocratic judiciary where the state isn't really a state, but local judges administering justice and some level of organization with militia and so on and so forth. Either it's going to be that vision, that scriptural vision, where laws are just and judges don't take bribes and all this sort of stuff. Or it's going to be this corporate America, corporate-driven profiteering, uh, excessive taxation, and total injustice for the preborn. That Those are the options. Those are the vision. That's the vision of it all. Uh, and I, I, frankly, it becomes disgusting when dealing with these folks, the pro-life people. Because even here, here in Virginia, we have the Virginia Society for Human Life which as far as I can tell, it's separate but connected to the right, national right to life. I'm not sure. That remains to be seen for me. But I, I had actually inquired with them about what their position was on, on the bill in Louisiana, and they said, no, we don't support it because we don't think mothers should be prosecuted. Then just say it. You don't believe in having true justice uh, without partiality. Just say that you don't think that Preborn babies should be treated equally under the law. Just admit that. <laughs> don't don't lie to everybody else. Just admit that. And these are ostensible Christians, church-going people. A lot of them Roman Catholic, but certainly some that are Protestant who have just not been taught to think soberly and biblically about these things. So that's what we're up against in Virginia, and everybody's up against that. They're up against that up here in Pennsylvania, just north of us as well. And it's a huge paradigm shift. We wanted to do the conference so that we could shift the discussion. My goal was to put incrementalism to to, bet, to, to bury it so that it was, stays dead and no longer comes around because it's such a phony, fake, half-measure view of justice that, that it, it deserves to die a million deaths. The, the, the ground motive of the Christian ought to be the exaltation of Jesus Christ in the town square. It should not be driven by humanism. It should not be driven by, you know, the, the corporate uh, humanist structure of government that we have right now. Uh, it, it should be driven by liberty and justice for all. And either we mean justice for all or we don't. And right now, the Christians that are stopping these bills of abolition, they're just adopting the same humanistic, revolutionary in nature and character uh, schemes that are unfortunately prolonging the abolition of abortion and are in fact keeping abortion uh, legal. And so <laughs> it's, it's becoming quite a frustrating experience. And I know this isn't like, by God's grace, I don't remember what, maybe like eight or nine years ago was when uh, it dawned on me that, wait, there is an abortion holocaust. <laughs> and it didn't just dawn on me by my own volition. It was God's grace who brought me brought me to it. And when you, when you realize that, and then you start to see the inconsistencies that are out there, you know, it, it can become very frustrating. And then there, there are men who've been in this longer than I have. Uh, back in the Operation... Uh, 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 rescues, all the, all the rescue, uh, Operation Save America, the rescues of the 80s and 90s, and people who've been in this for a very long time, they've seen this. They've seen the uh, apathy of the Christian church. They've seen the inconsistencies in, in their thinking, and 
And so they've been frustrated a long time, longer than I have, probably some of them longer than I've been alive. But the, the scene in Virginia, and I'm, I'm hoping to at least appeal to Virginians who may or may not listen to this, but please do not adopt the humanistic presuppositions that are continuing to get us into the totalitarian state that we are in. Uh, be consistent. Care about God's law. Care about God's justice. Care about the, the, how God and his law forbids bribery, forbids partiality, and demands equal protection under the law. That is, uh, that is what the call is to you here in Virginia. And I would say the same thing to Glenn Youngkin. I know he listens to this regularly. <laughs> but if he were to listen, Mr. Governor, you need to be consistent in the, this. You profess to be a Christian. I've seen you um, praying and being a part of these prayer services and things that go on uh, down in Richmond. I've seen you. And you say you name the name of Jesus Christ. Well, if you name him, then you better obey him. You better obey him. You better not give yourself over to this humanist garbage that continues to be put out from conservative, quote-unquote, conservative pro-lifers. You need to repent of that. Same thing for Virginia politicians. Repent for your uh, apathy. Repent for your hypocrisy and your inability to, to stand against this perceived tidal wave of leftist pro-aborts, stand up to them and say, no, you are not permitted to murder your child in this jurisdiction. You're just not. And in fact, if you do, you will be prosecuted under the law. Man, like what? That's all we need to do. That's all Christians need to do is just stand up to this nonsense, have the courage and the backbone to look at the nations who are raging against the anointed one and say, listen, Jesus Christ bought this place with his blood. The nations are his inheritance and either we are going to bend the knee to him now or we are going to bend the knee later as he brings us to our knees in destruction. Whether that's economic uh, dis you know, disruption like we've seen right now or whether or not it's another war, whatever it is, God will bring it and God will be just in his judgment and we'll deserve it. And don't, don't delay though, because the time for repentance is now. The time for, for turning to Jesus Christ and crying out to him is right now. Well, I don't know if you can hear the rain. <laughs> it's picking up even more, but I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about the Virginia Center for Public Theology. It ties into this discussion, but I want to bring this up because I've had questions asked, you know, what is the VACPT? You can go to the website, vacpt.org, and you can read about it. You can learn more about it there. But people have asked, what is it? Well, the best thing that I can tell you, for one, it is a nonprofit. It's a ministry of Cross and Crown Church. Our entire goal with it is summed up in the tagline, defending Christian ethics in the town square. That's our intention. We wanna defend Christian ethics in the town square. And our mission is this, the Virginia Center for Public Theology is dedicated to engaging the political, social, and ethical foundations of modern humanist thought and practice by providing intellectually rigorous, biblically-based resources that aim to defend Christian philosophy, theology, and ethics 
in the town square for the furtherance of the gospel and the flourishing of every man, woman, and child. So what is the Virginia Center for Public Theology? Well, that's it. Uh, This is inspired by much of my own personal research and reading in Abraham Kuyper, even uh, Van Prinsterer before him, uh, and also the work of Herman Duivert and his brother-in-law, Dirk Vollenhoven. Basically, the Dutch Reformed (laughs) school of thought has been fascinating to me, especially the philosophical aspects. But what they would do is, you know, they developed the anti-revolutionary party in, 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 in the Netherlands, and they were very active in the political sphere of those areas. Uh, but that's kind of what, what I think Christians should be doing anyway. But this is just, the VACPT is just a, a tool uh, for political activism, for social activism, for dealing with the ethical issues that we face every single day. So my, my goal with it as the founder and president is to expand the ministry, to expand the influence uh, of, the, of the center so that we can deal with the humanist thought and practice that is plaguing us today. It's plaguing us as a nation, and it's certainly plaguing us um, in the state of Virginia. So part of what we're going to do, uh, we have two main activities. You can see this on the website, but two main activities. We're going to assist the the broader church in applying the biblical world and life view to the various issues plaguing the state of Virginia. So we want to we want to provide uh, the church Christians with the tools they need to think critically about these issues, whether that's uh, gun control because that's another debate right now, uh, or government education, or or economic policy, the Federal Reserve. What should we think about the Federal Reserve or Bitcoin or um, uh, fractional reserve banking, you name it, whatever issue it is, Christian theology has something to say to it. And we want to assist the church in providing those resources so that they can, in fact, be educated on them and frankly defend the Christian worldview that comes to it and that is applied to it so that we're not swallowed up in this totalitarian nightmare that we're in right now. So we want to assist the church in that. And we also want to produce resources that restore the intellectual foundations of Christendom by challenging the errors of modern humanist thought and practice. So resources, whether those videos or social media, graphics, things like that, we're going to put that content out there. And uh, hopefully you and others that will follow the page or follow the, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But if you could follow those pages, you you can see those resources, you can share them. And hopefully people be, will be persuaded by that. Uh, the intellectual foundations of Christendom is what gave us America. Um, now, I happen to believe America fell off the wagon a long, long time ago, but it's possible for us to at least recapture those foundations and as a result, uh, restore those foundations and, and, and challenge humanist practice and thought. So. I hope you're not distracted. The the rain is really, really coming down right now. But on the website, we uh, developed a creed, and I want to kind of walk through a few of those things with you. And and again, this is a little bit of a shorter episode, but I wanted to touch base with you guys to to talk through some of these most pressing issues. But our our main emphasis is Christ above all. Christ above all. He stands, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, stands over the nations, uh, he is he he has received them as an inheritance. Uh, they belong to him, and our job is to make sure that they they know about it. 
So I'm going to read from our website here. It says, believing that Holy Scripture, and by the way, Holy Scripture is God's self-disclosure to man, but believing that Holy Scripture accounts for the totality of our existence, we confess, we confess certain things. Well, first, with regard to life, we confess that human life in its entirety is religion. All of life is religion. And the reason that is, is because all of us, uh, whether you're the most unregenerate pagan you can think of, <laughs> just you know, foaming at the mouth type pagan, all of us uh, live in this world, in this created, created world, and we have in our hearts a ground motive that is put forth. We all have those presuppositions through which we view certain things. And that impulse, that ground motive, is central to the heart. In Christian theology, the heart is the center of man, not the mind. The, we're not post-enlightenment rationalists who are trying to recover Greek metaphysics here. We believe that the heart and the man, man's desire and religious motivation is the foundation, the central ground motive of, of all humans. So it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, that's just, that's what drives us. So all of life then is religion because all of life then is, is, is either viewed through that lens or it's experienced through that lens. So all of life is, is religion. Consequently, man's social, political, you can hear the thunder roaring now, man's social, political, and cultural experiences, goals, and outcomes, all of those things unfold as a service either to the, to the one true and living God or an idol. So this is just a general overview of life. And by the way, some of this is adapted and revised and somewhat expanded from the Association for Reform Scientific Studies, which I don't believe exists anymore, but I really loved some of the things they said. So some of it I adapted, but that's just where, where some of these thoughts were coming from as I, I kind of built on them. So all of life comes from that. All of life is religion. All of life is characterized by man's disposition, his religious disposition, as he views the world, as he, as he looks through the lens of this religious conviction. <laughs> that was a big lightning strike right in front of me. This is quite the exercise here in doing a podcast with chaos unfolding all around. So all of man's social, political, and cultural expectations, all of his goals, all of the outcomes of those things, uh, they unfold as a service either to God, they're either, either, this is by the way, the direction of the law, either it's something that comes uh, as a reflection of God and his word and thus goes back to God in worship, or it's an idol that we're serving. But either way, you gotta serve somebody. The second thing we believe we confess regarding scripture that scripture, the written word of God, and instructing us of God, ourselves, of course, too, and the law structures of creation, is that integral and active divine word or power by which God, through the vehicle of his Holy Spirit, attaches us to and enlightens us in the truth who is Christ Jesus. So scripture is the foundational motive. The religious impulse that each of us has ought to be viewed through the lens of the authority of Scripture. That's the foundation. If it's not viewed through this, man will always and inevitably express his religious impulse and conviction in humanistic, inward-bent, selfish, idol-worshipping ways. So we either have Scripture or we have man's word, and those are the two, those are the two concepts. But Scripture, though, tells us about God. That's how we know 
ourselves, this is uh, the very first part of Calvin's Institutes, to know ourselves, we need to know God. So that's where the knowledge of God comes from. So scripture tells us who God is, it tells us who we are, and it also explains the law structures of creation and the sphere sovereignty contained therein. All of these aspects of life, the numerical aspect, the psychical aspect, uh, the spatial, uh, all the way through to the biotic aspect of life or the jural aspect or, 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 or even the, the last one, the pistical aspect, the faith aspect. By the way, this is all Dewey Bird's thinking. All of those aspects of life, though, are revealed in us in, in creation. Things work a certain way. The rain falls, the lightning strikes. Um, you know, those things are all there. They're unchangeable, indissoluble. You can't, you can't manipulate them. I mean, we try. Man in his humanism tries, but ultimately he will fail. So, so scripture should be the thing we, we look through to, to understand who God is, who we are, and what this creation is all about as well. We also, at the VACPT, confess Christ, that, that the Jesus Christ of scripture, the word of God made flesh, he is, he's the redeemer, he's the renewer of our life in its entirety, and therefore also of all theoretical thought and practical actions. So Jesus Christ renews us. He's redeems us. He redeems us from sin. He renews our thinking. So he, he renews all of life for us, especially our minds. That was one of the problems with some of the early uh, Thomistic and scholastic uh, emphasis on the nature-grace dialectic. People believed that the mind really wasn't corrupted, that the mind wasn't infected with sin, and therefore we could rationally get ourselves, you know, to God. And and the Bible says, well, no, sin has a, you know, sin has affected every area of life, especially the mind of a man. So we need to be renewed. All of our theoretical thought, all of our theorizing, all of our political theory, social theory, all of those things are supposed to be renewed by Christ, and thus they serve. Um, either Jesus Christ or they serve an idol. Now, regarding reality, we confess that the essence or foundation of all created reality is the covenantal communion of man with God and Christ. That is the foundation of all reality. Uh, we are in God's world. He made us, and there is a communion that takes place, a covenantal bond that is there, whether you're a covenant keeper in Christ or a covenant breaker outside of Christ, either way, that communion, that covenantal attachment is there, like it or not. That's just how reality functions. Regarding knowledge, we confess that true knowledge is made possible by true religion and arises from the knowing activity of the human heart enlightened through the word of God by the Holy Spirit. Thus, Religion plays its decisive ordering role in the understanding of our everyday experience and our theoretical and cultural pursuits. So knowledge is possible. I realize we live in an age where knowledge is questionable. You talk to uh, pro-aborts and, and folks that are just, you know, <laughs> again, either foaming at the mouth or not, but you talk to them and there really isn't any using logic with them. They don't really care about logic. That's why usually they'll either spit at you, curse at you, flick you off, uh, or as one lady did on this video that went viral on Twitter, they'll just dance, you know, provocatively with their body parts. That's the only response they can do because they're already crawling out of their own skin because they're made in the image of God and they hate that. So they're already crawling out of their own skin trying to figure out a way to deal with this uh, apparently patriarchal 
you know, oppression that goes on within <laughs> in the anti-abortion work. Um, but as far as knowledge is concerned, they know the truth. We know the Bible says they suppress it in unrighteousness. But, but knowledge is a true thing, and true knowledge can be possible. And, and it's possible by true religion that, that arises from knowing true knowledge in the human heart, which is, of course, only enlightened by the Word of God as the Holy Spirit illuminates and brings us to it. So that's why we say that religion has a decisive ordering role in the understanding of everyday experience. We have to be able to account for reality. We have to be able, be able to account for all of the aspects of life that we experience. And either we, either we account for it in terms of God and his law word as he has instructed creation through it, um, or we just emote. And, and that's what you see all of the time with, from, from the pro-aborts. And in others who would rage against God and his law word, they can really, there's no really, you can't reason with them. There's no even real point in trying to reason with them. I mean, we want to be persuasive, and I think there's a role in that. But when you throw reason out the window, logic out the window, and you just want to emotionally uh, talk back, then it's very difficult to, to do that. Um, that's why we need to be persuasive and winsome in preaching and proclaiming the word of God and confronting sin and, and idolatry and, and showing the immeasurable riches of God's grace and the treasures of, of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ. We need to be able to express that and teach that and proclaim that. All right, the next thing you'll notice on the website, we have a section about scholarship, and that's because we believe that the intellectual foundations of Christendom are important, and we want to have a robust and rigorous system of thought and explanation that can uh, account for, for, for these things. And so part of the VACPT will be to, in a scholarly way, respond to humanist thought, uh, patiently and winsomely proclaim the gospel through that, um, and also give an ordering and an, and an accounting for what it is we're after, what sort of ethical standard we're looking at. So there's two parts to that. Part A, we confess that the diligent pursuit of theoretical thought in a culture is essential to the obedient and thankful response of God's people to the cultural mandate. The task of a scholar, for example, is to give a scientific account of the structure of creation and thereby to promote a more effective ordering of the everyday experience of the community. So when we use the word uh, scientific account, we're talking about all, the, about all the aspects of life. So Christian, basically Christian biology, Christian psychology, uh, these, these uh, you know, theology, Christian theology, all of them, uh, Christian math, all of these things have an important role to play in responding to the cultural mandate given to us in Genesis as we, as the people of God, seek to uh, explore the creation, to explain the creation, to open up the treasures of the earth in both the physical and immaterial realms, and glorify God as a result of that. So that's why we need to have uh, obedience and, and a thankful response to God and, and what he's given to us. The second part, part B, we confess that because of God's gracious preservation of creation after the fall, men who reject the word of God as the ordering principle of life provide many valuable insights into the common structure of reality. So even unbelievers can explain some things and do so quite, quite well. However, nevertheless, the central religious antithesis of direction in life remains. This, uh, as far as I know, this is part of the statement from the ARSS. Again, I don't think that's 
uh, H. Evan Runner had a hand in that years ago in Canada, probably 50, 60, 70 years ago. I don't know that it exists anymore, but part of the language, what the point is there, though, um, is that even unbelievers who, who may contribute to, you know, a positive God-ordering society, they only do it because they're made in the image of God and they're borrowing from the Christian worldview, but there's still a central religious antithesis of direction, meaning that you, as a rebellious sinner, made in the image of God, you may get some things right, but the direction of life, the direction of of honoring God and, and, and unfolding creation in service to the Creator, uh, that's still the wrong direction. You're not honoring Christ in it. So that antithesis is still there. It doesn't just magically go away. We therefore, this is again from the website, website vacpt.org, which is, we're still building, by the way. There's, there's stuff there now, but there's going to be more coming. We therefore reject the possibility of the synthesis of scripturally directed thought with any other system of thought, e.g., for example, humanism. So we, we do not believe that you can take scripture and apply it to Greek metaphysics and like marry the two together, sort of the Thomistic response. We don't think that you can take a scripturally directed thought process, a philosophy, theology, all of those things. You can't take Christ and his lordship and synthesize it, whether that's in a Hegelian, you know, anti or trying to resolve a dialectic, right? You can't synthesize it and do so with some sort of humanist thing. In other words, this is why the abortion conversation matters so much. You can't take God's law, which forbids partiality, and try to then marry it to the humanist pragmatism that goes on in the pro-life industry. You can't do it. We reject it. That You can't synthesize it. It is wicked wholesale. You can't throw smash mouth in front of it and call it good. That's not good. It is wicked and evil, whether it's an action, whether it's a piece of legislation or some sort of judicial determination. This is stuff I talked about in my talk from the uh, uh, Abolish Abortion Virginia conference. Whatever that is, you cannot marry it to some sort of humanistic thought and call it good. It does not work. You can't synthesize it. Another thing, culture. We confess that the flourishing of any culture rests on its religious foundations. The flourishing of any culture. The reason America is not flourishing right now is because the religion it rests upon is not Christianity. And no, we don't say Judeo-Christian. <laughs> As if Juda Judaism is a legitimate option for anybody. It's not. It's, it's not even remotely close. Christianity is to be the religious foundation of any nation if you want flourishing. If you want totalitarian nightmares, then go ahead, do the humanism thing. You know, do the revolutionary French Revolution repeat. From the website, consequently, all societal pursuits are to be undertaken in complete and voluntary submission to the word of God and the divine laws that govern all of human life. So all of our societal pursuits, every social theory, if it is going to honor Jesus Christ, honor his lordship, if, if it's going to, you know, do those things, then it must be from a complete and voluntary submission to the word of God. Meaning we don't, you know, lock people up for not being Christians. We must submit to scripture. We must uh, implore others to submit to scripture. 
and the divine laws that govern all of human life. So that's, you know, no, kind of a no compromise situation here. <laughs> and we thank God for it. The battle, the foremost battle of our time, we confess, is the need for Christians to bring the, uh, the revealing light of God's word to bear upon the central issues of man's cultural life, including but not limited to the sciences, politics, economics, education, and all lawful institutions. Like, there are certain institutions that are just unlawful, so we don't want to redeem them, public school being a prime example. So that's the foremost battle. We need to take the revelation of, of the light of God's law word, and we need to bring it to bear upon the central issues of man's cultural life. We need to be able to take take the word of God and, and bring it to bear. What does God require of what does God require of us in the field of mathematics or psychology or or the field of physics, biology? Uh, what does God require of us in these in these areas? Well, we have to look to his word, but that's the foremost battle. If Christians aren't even willing to do that, then we're going to be in a heap of trouble. Summary from the website. We confess that all cultural engagement in defense of Christian ethics, morality, politics, and general world and life view issues are to be pursued in faithful obedience to the divine mandate and the normative direction of God's law word. The Virginia Center for Public Theology acknowledges and submits to God's law to which all of creation in all its spheres is subject and will therefore bow before Christ's kingship over all scientific, theoretical, experiential, and cultural pursuits. In other words, the word of God takes primacy. We submit to his law for creation, the created order, uh, sort of, you know, what we used to call basic gender binary, the, the spheres of life are all subject to his law, mathematics, all of the things we've talked about, those things are are subject to God and his law word. And so we bow before Christ's kingship in those areas. Every single, if it's an area that you can think of, whether that's video games or developing uh, good movies, uh, writing good books, all of those things are to bow before Christ the king, including the political sphere. So that's just kind of a quick summary of, of our creed from the Virginia Center for Public Theology. We are just getting this thing underway. There's a lot to do. Um, right now, we are accepting donations through Cross and Crown Ministries. You can go to crosscrownchurch.com give. We're working on getting the nonprofit. Well, we have the nonprofit for the Virginia Center for Public Theology, um, but we're working on getting some of those other things in place. But if you'd like to support our work, uh, we would love to have you partner with us. Five, ten bucks a month if you want to chip in. That would be huge to help us continue to do that work. And we hope to to be able to continue laboring here in Virginia. Um, we, we love the work of places like uh, the Ezra Institute up in Canada, uh, Free the States in Oklahoma. Um, some of those organizations, kind of VACPT is like all of those organizations, you know, Truth and Transformation Europe, for example, I just met some of those guys up in Philadelphia. All of those organizations kind of rolled into one locally here in Virginia. That's the that's the aim of the VACPT. We want to defend Christian ethics in the town square. So find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And please uh, continue to uh, labor for the kingdom. I know that 
we have so much work to do. It seems like an insurmountable task, but with Christ our King, who could possibly, who could possibly stand against him? So that's it for us this week on Crossing Crown Radio Mobile. Hopefully you enjoyed the thunderstorm in the background. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening and tuning in. And until next time, grace and peace be with you.